All right. I want you to start by turning in 2 Samuel chapter 1 with me. Um, and as we get there, I'm going to kind of explain where we are, why we're here, and that'll help explain what we're talking about tonight. So we've been on this journey this semester through the life of David. This timeline here shows a lot of the steps that we, or a lot of the things we've talked about, some of the stuff that might be coming up with David. And he lived roughly 3,000 years ago. We're taking a look at the way God moved in him and through him, and this gives us an opportunity to find ways that we can be like David or learn from his mistakes and just see the Lord establishing the next step in his plan to bring us Jesus in the cross. And so tonight, we're at the start of 2 Samuel. Saul has died in battle, and it's opened the door. David can now become king, but instead of celebrating, David actually laments. His first reaction is lament because his deep friendship with Jonathan, who's Saul's son, and he also died in battle. And it's in this that we can learn some great things about friendship and where we're going to sit tonight. So an interesting thing, I think, about friendship is, at least in the ESV Bible, uh, you're not going to find that word translated specifically very often. Uh, yeah, you just don't see friend nearly as often as maybe some other words that speak of community. But once you start looking at for friendship and community in, the, in God's word, it's everywhere. We learn lots of cool things. God is creator. He's sovereign. He's in control. That Jesus is our perfect, loving redeemer. We're also going to be faced with the reality that the Lord created us, created us to go through life in community. That means we have friends. And then once you start looking, it's everywhere. Even at the beginning, when Adam was created, the Lord didn't say it was good until Eve was created. Then it was a good. He established community. And then you look at the end. In Revelation, we see that we're all going to be spending an eternity as a multitude together, worshiping God in community. Or think on this. The Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect relationship together for all time. We get lots of instruction on what living in community looks like, and I'm trying to synthesize that into a message today. I really struggled with that. The reality is I can't. There's so much there. Listen to this quote that'll be on the screen regarding friendship. The Bible recognizes that godly friends help us grow spiritually as well. A godly friend loves at all times, Proverbs 17, 17, and a true friend will stick closer than a brother, Proverbs 18, 24. Even criticism, criticism from a Christian friend can help keep us accountable, Proverbs 27, 6. If we stumble, the godly friend is there to help us, Ecclesiastes 4, 10. Regardless of the circumstances, believers need to be godly friends honoring others above themselves, Romans 12, 10. The friendship of David and Jonathan is an example of what godly friendship should be. It was based on genuine honor, integrity, and faithfulness. If we could be this kind of friend to others, it would not be hard to win the world to Christ. I love that last line. If we could be friends like this, then it would not be hard to win the world to Christ. They would see Christ in our relationships. And those scripture references are just a subset of the many we could look at on this topic. The Bible's got a lot to say about friendship. And what that means is I'm not going to touch on everything. There's going to be situation or questions I might not address, but that's okay. We're going to be looking at the story of David and Jonathan, and we're going to take that friendship, and then we're just going to think on what that could and should look like in our life today. 
And if you have questions, bring them up. I'd love to talk about it. So to springboard into that, we're going into 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 25 and 26. This is after Saul and Jonathan have died, and David's in the middle of his lament, which is an expression of mourning. So let's see what he says. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. Being in the middle of this long lament over David's death, or David's lament over the death of Saul and Jonathan, it's caused to make a stop and think, because he's using some very intimate and personal language here. Look at the language he uses, distressed, pleasant, extraordinary love. That's strong language to describe their friendship. Particularly that last phrase, where David says that Jonathan's love surpasses the love of women. That's kind of weird. We don't really talk like that nowadays. So let me explain what he's saying there. The original Hebrew structure of David's lament here starts verse 25 off with the phrase, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. This is actually calling back on the beginning of David's lament in verse 19 when he says, how the mighty have fallen. It's a hint that this part of his lament is the thematic climax. It's the point. It's the pinnacle. And it makes sense because that language following is the most personal language of grief David uses. David's mourning. And he's expressing that mourning in a way to try and convey the depth of what he's feeling. And back then... That last phrase would have made it really clear that Jonathan and his love was deep and their friendship was deep just by saying that his love surpassed that of women. Because back then, a wife's primary role was in procreating, or excuse me, was in helping benefit the tribe as a means of growing in size and strength. So a wife was your partner in procreation and parenting, not necessarily your best friend or confidant. That was often another person, and for David, that was Jonathan, which led to deep mourning for his death. Their friendship began in 1 Samuel 18. This follows directly after the battle with Goliath when David comes into the house of Saul. In verse 1, we see the language where David and Jonathan's soul get net together. Their friendship is formed, it's established, and it's deep. It makes sense. David was a man who was a good warrior and loved the Lord, and so was Jonathan. In chapter 14, if we wanted to learn that, that's where I would send you to go see Jonathan relying on the Lord to defeat the Philistines. And it's from that point forward that their friendship was deep, critical. We see in chapter 19, Jonathan defends David and protects him. He does it again in chapter 20. And then in Jonathan's death, David mourns. And then after that, we see David remember their friendship when he spares Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, and brings him in to his own household. So what does this all mean? David and Jonathan had a deep friendship, sure. But to see what that looks like, I want you to turn with me to chapter 19 in 1 Samuel. But as we get into this text, I want to give us a lens to look through as we enter in it. Because Jesus himself helped us understand what friendship should be. So there's no better way to consider Jonathan and David's friendship than through what Jesus said. So in John 15, Jesus says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
First thing I have to say in response to that is look at that last sentence there. You are my friends. If you're saved, you're Jesus's friend. That's an incredible statement. Like everything we talk about here is about those around us for sure. But guess what? Jesus, the man who was present and through whom creation came about, the man who died on the cross, who rose three days later, in that process justifying and cleansing you of the sins of your life, the God-man Jesus, if you repent and put your faith in him, he is your friend. And preceding that statement, he tells us what being a friend is like. So I want us to keep that in mind as we look at the friendship of David and Jonathan. We're going to start with the first seven verses of 1 Samuel 19, and we're going to see that we should be a friend like Jonathan. So let's read that. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. He's referring to their friendship again there. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, that's referring to Goliath, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. So what we see here is that we should be a loving friend like Jonathan. Jonathan was commanded by King Saul, his father, to kill David. By even questioning Saul, he's directly pushing back on his king and his father. That's not a small moment. We need to recognize how big of a deal that was. But Jonathan instead warns David. He protects him. And then he goes to talk to his dad. And he doesn't hold back. Look at some of the phrases he uses in verses 4 and 5. Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you. He reminds Saul how David's defeat of Goliath was the Lord working a great salvation for Israel. He's explicitly pointing out his father, his father's error and why he should be relenting. That could only happen because he loved David. This was inconvenient. This was dangerous and this was risky. Jonathan couldn't know for sure that his father would relent. But instead of protecting himself, or staying out of the conflict, Jonathan instead loves David and he stands up for him. Jonathan is living out the command of Jesus to love one another as I have loved you. So here's my question to you. What does friendship mean to you? Is it a contract? It's how many people define it nowadays. Meaning you put into it the same amount the other person is. So what that means is if they stop putting anything into the friendship, you stop being friends. That wasn't the case for David and Jonathan. While David was fleeing after this period of time, there was nothing he could do for Jonathan. And even in this moment, David's the one whose life's at risk. Jonathan's really getting very little out of this relationship by standing up for him. 
That means that being a friend who loves like Jesus doesn't have this transactional component to it. Instead, it is characterized by love. And we can see two other things as well. The second one is sacrificially. Look back in 1 Samuel again in verses 4 and 5. Jonathan's confronting his father. And we just talked about how specifically he called him out for his sin to try and kill David. Saul listened this time. But I don't want us to mistake the fact that this was sacrificing a lot. He put his reputation on the line. He put his, potentially his relationship with his dad. He, he didn't know how he was going to react. And as it turns out, Jonathan's actually putting his life on the line. He does a very similar act of protection over David in chapter 20. And if you were to turn there and look in verse 32, that's where you'd see the climax of that story. Saul and Jonathan are arguing. And Jonathan's like, Saul, why are you trying to take David's life? What has he done? Saul's response in verse 33 is intense. His anger is kindled, and he throws his spear at Jonathan. Like, talk about family drama. But what that means is that being a friend means we love sacrificially. Just like Jesus said in John 15, no greater love than the one who lays down his life for his friend. I use the word sacrificially very intentionally here, though. We could easily jump to the conclusion that we need to put our life at risk for our friends based off the example of Jonathan and maybe even Jesus on the cross. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be willing to. Sometimes being a friend might mean we need to put our life at risk. But that's actually not the heart of, what's, of the story here. In fact, I'd actually argue there's more to the just putting your life on the line. You see, friendship isn't this relationship where we just sit around waiting for the next car to jump in front of. Living sacrificially means that we're going to make time. We're going to create space. We're going to have those late night conversations when we're tired. It means if your friend is hurting and they need help, you go help. And it also means that if your friend confronts you or rebukes you, instead of defending and deflecting that statement, you choose to listen and understand. That's inconvenient. That's hard. And you have to sacrifice to yourself to do it. Almost two years ago, I got into a car accident. Uh, it's a terrible memory. I caused the accident, and we were struck. Hannah was in the passenger seat with her son. Uh, she was pregnant about eight months, probably. She was pretty close to giving birth. And praise God that everyone involved was safe. Uh, but in the moments afterward, we were talking with the police, waiting for the tow truck to arrive. Um, and then we were going to have to go to the hospital to get Hannah looked at and Silas checked to make sure that they were healthy. So I called Cody. I don't remember the conversation. I don't know what I said. I don't know what his response was. But he answered and he came. He sat there with Hannah and I as we waited for the tow truck and the police to finish getting statements. He asked questions to check and see how we were. He sat there when we just needed to sit there. And then he took us to the hospital. And while we were at the hospital, him and Brittany both went and got our other car, brought it to the hospital. They even packed our hospital bags in case Silas was induced. And here's the point with all of that. To this day, I have no idea what he had going on that day, both him and Brittany. Never once have they brought it up. That would have been an inconvenience on their life. They never would have, they would never would say that, but they weren't planning on it. They have kids, they had something going on that day. But instead, 
They sacrificed what was going on to support and to love Hannah, Silas, and I. That's living sacrificially as a friend. You should be a friend in that way. Love sacrificially like Jesus. The other way we see Jonathan as a friend is how he honors God. In John 15, we see Jesus say that we are his friends if we do what he commands us. That means we're obedient to the Lord. We submit to his commands, rules, and authority. And in doing so, you are honoring God. Look at the reasons Jonathan gives to Saul when he is convincing him not to kill David. Let not the king sin, in verse 4. In verse 5, he points out how the Lord worked a great salvation when David defeats Goliath. That's speaking volumes. In the same way David defeated Goliath because of the Lord, Jonathan acknowledges that it was the Lord's doing for the Lord's glory. So here, Jonathan's encouraging Saul to honor God. But in doing so, he's also honoring David and their friendship. You see, he could have just told David to flee and to hide and then just sat back. That would have kept David safe. That would be kind of loving to David, maybe. But if he did nothing, that would be very similar to if you're at school and there's a person bullying a friend and you just told them to hide. They can't get away. They're at school. That's doing nothing. Instead, Jonathan confronts Saul. And in such a way that he prevents David from having to continue to flee, at least momentarily, and he's also convincing Saul to stop, which means he stops sinning. That's honoring God and his friendship. And here's the thing. Jesus was amazing at this as well. He honored God above all else. And we see Jesus confront people as well, just like Jonathan did. He, saw, he confronted the Pharisees, the disciples, and the crowds. He perfectly honored God. But I bring that up because I do not want you to hear me say that confronting people is how we honor God. Sometimes, yes. Let's be honest, we're really good at telling people when they're wrong. What we're really bad at is coming alongside them, lovingly as a friend, and honoring God in that process. But what do we see Jesus do the most of? We see him spending time with his disciples who were really bad at honoring God and show them what that looked like. He asked questions, he taught, he ate with them, and he provided the perfect example of how to honor God. Sometimes that was rebuke, but most times it was by being present, listening, and revealing to them the wonder, the beauty, and the majesty that comes with honoring God. So my guess is at this point, I could probably generalize and put everyone in this room into one of two camps. There are some of you who might be sitting there burdened because you can think of three friends from class last week that you said no to because you were busy hanging out with some other people. Or maybe you didn't stay up till 4 a.m. the other night and only stayed up till 1 a.m., but your FOMO's still crushing you. Or maybe you could have skipped an extra class last week to hang out with this friend because people over everything, for better or worse. You, my crazy friends, are the extroverts. And I say crazy because I am not an extrovert. I don't know how you do it. But on the other side of the coin, we've got the introverts. And you probably hear this, and you're thinking things like, I've got this. I don't need a close friend in my life, so why should I be a close friend to them? Like, why should I? It's exhausting and a burden for me. I process internally anyways. There is no need to make someone else sit there and just watch me think. 
I need to protect my energy and carefully drain my social battery. But the thing is, school and work take 99% of that battery. So sorry, I only got 1% left for friends. The heart of my response to both of those camps is very similar, actually. You're making the mistake of friendship being about what you accomplish. That's not what we see here with David and Jonathan. We see them knowing each other. We're called to love and be friends to all, but that doesn't mean we are friends like David and Jonathan, with all. In fact, the Bible never promises us that we're going to have a friend that looks, or friendship that looks exactly like that. Rather, the heart is being a good friend, being a friend like Jonathan. So my extrovert friends, what that means is you can't do it all. In fact, the wider you spread yourself to love and to serve, the less you're going to love and serve. You're spread so thin that there is no way any one of those people in your life can really know who you are. It's always on to the next activity, the next group, the next task. You're seen as fun and bubbly. You bring people together, but no one really knows who you are. And no one can get a hold of you because you're always so busy. Jesus had 12 disciples, only 12. And then of those 12, he had the three, Peter, James, and John. They were particularly close to Jesus. He's the perfect person to build a framework of life, let alone friendship off of. And Peter, James, and John experienced and heard some of the most intimate parts of Jesus's life. The 12 were with him on a daily basis, walking and eating with him, and he invested in the crowds as well. They were his friends too, but they were invested in differently than the 12, and the three were invested in differently than the 12. You should as well. You need to make space to be known by those close few. And introverts, Jesus was known. He sought out the 12. It wasn't an accident. And trust me, I get that you'd rather be alone, but honestly, this one's the easiest to argue against. It simply isn't biblical. Times of isolation are okay, sure. Jesus did. He went off to pray, but it's not normative. Instead, Jesus was with the 12. He was with the crowds. He shared vulnerably, and he let people around him know who he was. You can't show Christ if you're not around people. And of all people who didn't need a friend, it was Jesus. But instead, we see him seeking out friendship. He valued friendships. And that brings us back to the friendship of Jonathan and David, because we see David highly value this friendship as well. And that leads to our final point. Value friendship like David. If you look with me at the beginning of chapter 20 and verse 1, we're going to see that David fled to Jonathan. This follows directly after Saul became jealous again. He went through his cycle and tries to kill David. And it's from here on we actually see David go into his time of fleeing in the wilderness. But the first thing David does is not run to the wilderness. Instead, in verse 1, he goes to Jonathan and he seeks clarity. He's asking Jonathan, what's going on? Why is this happening? And it eventually leads to Jonathan getting attacked by his father, like we'd mentioned earlier. And David could have just started running. He'd have gotten a head start that way, but he did not. Why? For one, that means leaving his best friend behind, and he wasn't about to do that. So he sought clarity. He went to Jonathan. He valued their friendship, and he asked questions. 
He wanted Jonathan's wisdom and his help in a confusing and scary situation. And it was only then, once they found that Saul was lost in his jealousy to kill David, that Jonathan sent David away, renewing their friendship, and then David left. And perhaps the biggest act of Jonathan remembering their friendship and valuing their friendship is later on uh, in 2 Samuel when he spares Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. He brings him into his household and treats him as his own son. And that's amazing because in that culture, you were supposed to kill all of the descendants of the previous king before you. But instead, he brings him in as his own son. We need to value friendship because in it, we can grow to be more like Christ. I mentioned friendship being about being known. We see that here. Jonathan can't know David's innocence unless he knows David's heart, what he does, who he is, what type of a person he is. And David can't know that it's safe to flee to Jonathan unless he knew that Jonathan was his brother. Because remember, Jonathan's the son of Saul. Jonathan was supposed to be the next king in that culture if David hadn't already been anointed as king. But David knew that Jonathan wasn't there to establish his own gain, but instead to glorify God. And so he could run to him and seek his encouragement. If you have a friend you can say that of, I'd encourage you to tell them. Encourage them in it and thank them for it. And be a sacrificial friend back, honoring God in it. If you don't, that's okay. Seek someone out, find someone, love them sacrificially, and honor God in the process, even if they don't back. Remember, it's not a transactional friendship. This is hard work. And I recognize that I didn't give a lot of like specific practical things to do here. There are really many different ways that this could be applied in your life. Some may work better for others than maybe you. But I, will, I do want to leave you with two questions. What type of friend should I be? And two, am I being that type of friend? But you know what blew my mind as I was thinking about this? Jesus is my friend. He says it himself in John 15. Do I value that? Do you? What kind of a friend are you being to Jesus? Are you a sacrificial friend to him? That man died literally for you. That man bore the weight of your sin for you. Your friend loves you. So what kind of a friend are you? And if you haven't submitted your life to Christ, he still can be your friend. Repent and believe, and this is all true for you. The thing is, is you have to be honest with yourself on these questions. The answer should be a friend who sacrificially loves like Jesus and honors God. But you might struggle to believe that or practice that. I often tend to define friendship as about what the other person's doing for me. And I have to continually work to honestly answer that question as a friend who sacrificially loves like Jesus and honors God. And then you have to continually work to be that type of a friend. But if you honestly ask those questions and you take them before the Lord, then we can trust the Spirit will help reveal the truths of your heart, good and bad, and help you take the steps to answer that as yes. Let's pray. Father, I'm just so thankful for Jesus and his death and resurrection on the cross, just defeating sin, 
Father, and that he's our friend. Lord, he's our friend. That's an amazing blessing and gift. I just pray that that would rest heavy on our hearts as we just think about what friendship looked like in David and Jonathan. And I just pray that that would cause us to be good friends and to value it, Father. And to just be friends that love like Jesus, sacrificially, and honor God. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.